Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what's up, Pelicans fans? You are listening to The Bird Rights here on Nothing But Net Network on Dash Radio. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes right now, search The Bird Rights, and subscribe today. Pels fans, happy new year. We are celebrating here at the Bird Calls podcast with our 70th episode. How do 70 episodes feel, Ollie? Oh, just like I do when I walk outside in this weather today. <laughs> I don't know about you, Preston, man, but it's freezing here. It's been below the freezing mark for pretty much all day and all night. Um, and it's supposed to be here all week, so I'm not a happy camper. No, it's not that bad over here. I think it's 46 right now, but it's been kind of misty and rainy uh, all day today, but not nearly as bad as it is in New Orleans or in New York, where I'm previously from. Uh, I think they had like 13 degrees with a zero wind chill or something like that. Anyway, I'm rambling. Of course, I'm your host, Preston Ellis. Per usual, we are joined by editor-in-chief, you just heard him, to the birdrights.com, Ali Cosell. And in Kevin's absence, we managed to pick up Crescent City Sports' David Grubb, hot off the waiver wire. Happy New Year to you, sir. <laughs> Thank you very much. Happy New Year, sir. Glad to be here. Glad to have you, man. Uh, We had David probably about three weeks ago, and he was a fantastic interview. So lucky to have him back. So glad Kevin's not here. Right, Ollie? (laughs) That's right, man. (laughs) We can talk all the bad stuff about Kevin, finally. Finally, I didn't think we were ever going to get rid of that guy, but here we are. We've made, looks like we've made it. Uh, by the way, I'm your host, Preston Ellis. Follow me at Preston Ellis, Ali at Ali Cosell, if you can manage to spell it, and David Grubb at DM Grubb with two Bs and CrescentCitySports.com. Okay, brace yourselves. I'm going to ramble for a second, Pels fans. We're going to get dark, but we're not going to stay there. It's a new year full of possibilities. The Pels still sit at 18 and 18, right at 500, which is probably right around where most, at least national experts, expected them at this point of the season. But like the hero of Gotham City, Harvey Dent once said, the night is darkest just before the dawn, and the dawn is coming. And we saw how well things turned out for Harvey. So obviously there should be no reason for Pelicans to fear. Uh, All right, David, uh, Ali, before we get into recaps, I just want to start with with a reason that we're all here. The Boogie Experiment, the Drew Holiday contract, Rondo, the Dems Gentry tenure. It it all just comes down to making Anthony Davis happy. I've got three quotes from uh, New Orleans' most important man, and I want you guys to decode them for me. Now, mind you, these these quotes all took place within about two weeks of each other, more or less, uh, some within a day. So here we go. Brace yourselves. It's not about the money. It's not about fans. The most important thing to me is winning. That's what I want to do, and I want to do it here. It makes you wonder, does this organization really have my back? I've been loyal to this organization. I love it here. I love this team. I think we're moving in the right direction. DeMarcus, Rondo, some other players are helping us, but people get judged on winning, and I want to win. You can do whatever. 
but they calculate everything off winning. You know that. I know that. Everybody in the league knows that. I hear it all the time. Anthony's a good player, but he hasn't won anything. He's not a winner. He hasn't been to the playoffs in two years. They'll come here and say, this isn't supposed to be like this, or we should have this, but I just shrug. I don't know how it is anywhere else. The only place I know is here. And then Davis said, we didn't have any energy. We let them get comfortable. They didn't feel the defense. We didn't play with any physicality. They got easy layups, easy threes, a lot of easy shots in. They started getting hot because we allowed them to. We needed this win. We need all of them, honestly. But this would have been a big one for us, and we didn't come out with energy. I'm not frustrated. We're fine. We're fine. We've just got to take care of business on the road. We've got to get back to playing how we were playing before, coming out with a lot of energy. But I'm not frustrated, disappointed that we dropped these two, but I'm not frustrated. David? Decode all of this for us. If the season ended today and Anthony Davis uh, sat in Dell Demp's office, what do you think he would say? Well, I think the first thing he would say is, is get me more help. Um, even though I don't think that solves his problem. Uh, I think the impression still is that, that this team is not deep enough. And I, 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 I wouldn't disagree with that assessment considering that they've been playing with basically eight players for the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, in the rotation, even though there are more guys healthy, it's just primarily been eight who are seeing seeing the floor. So I think there's still um, some depth that they'd like to see, especially, you know, we've talked about this before um, on many occasions, just um, either on air or just me and Ali at games, just about having another backup big, um, having a, a th- another um, swing or a backup point guard um, who's more effective. I think there's still more pieces for this team to be had because they did, I don't think that the Pelicans went all in this year to be a 500 team. All right, Ali, I'm going to swing it over to you. And I understand completely what he's saying, especially at the backup big. It's, it's, it's hard for these guys in the fourth quarter. The Pelicans are one of the worst teams in the league defensively and offensively in the fourth quarter in scoring against and for. And primarily part of that reason is a lot of these guys are getting a lot of minutes. Drew Holiday's getting a lot of minutes. Anthony Davis is getting a lot of minutes. And Boogie, all these guys are somewhere around the top 10 or top 20 in most minutes played with uh, Giannis and Ted Kupo and LeBron James obviously leading the fold. But with that being said, Ali, uh, we've got we've got a cousin in the Minnesota Timberwolves. They run an eight man rotation. They've got 22 wins. And you could argue they don't have the talent that the Pelicans do, although they do have Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, Jeff Teague, all these guys. Although Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns haven't been having the season that Anthony Davidson and DeMarcus Cousins have been having two top 10 players. Do you think it's just a matter of getting help, Ollie? No, there's as David said, that's not the only thing. And that that's that's completely the truth. We've watched this team now through almost uh, half of the schedule, and that's uh, been about, what, 36 games. And there's been one certain thing, and that's the unpredictability of what team you're going to see on a nightly basis. And even within the games, you're not going to see that same consistent effort for 48 minutes. I think that is precisely what has plagued this team the most. Um, It's been touched on not only by us here in the media row, but also by coaches, certain players. Um, They just – you know, either they'll say in the post-game comments or give up the vibe that for whatever reason, they don't bring the effort. And I'm just going to call it, I'm just going to blow it all down into one little simple word called complacency. I feel like this team at times settles, whether it's a start of games, they just don't get up for it or coming down a stretch. And in particular, I want to focus on that New York game, the way they closed out the game after being up eight points with three minutes to go, the shot selection I thought was miserable. I know that DeMarcus Cousins had an open jumper, and I know that the team feels very comfortable that Anthony Davis is basically allowed to shoot it from anywhere. But 
I have an issue with when you're already struggling for the entire core to put up points on the board and you settle for jump shots after jump shots after jump shots. Uh, they were fortunate to even get those two points in the final three minutes when DeMarcus drove to the rim. He uh, honestly looked like he was headed nowhere fast and the refs bailed him out. So conceivably, they shouldn't have scored any points to close out that game. It just troubles me, Preston, that this team loses its focus so easily, that they can start a game off very poorly on the energy side, that they can have those defensive lapses, like in the Dallas game where J.J. Barea snuck in behind Anthony Davis on the clear switch after a pick and roll. He just, A.D. lost complete sight of Barea, who drilled that um, dagger in the heart three to put Dallas up six late in that game. So, it's, the, all these, it's, it's a combination of all these mistakes, and like I said, I just boil it down to complacency because this team doesn't show that urgency that they need to. I don't want to say I'm not going to call, I'm not calling them lazy. This is not to say they don't work hard, they don't run through practice, give it 110 percent. I just feel like that they can do things better. They can do everything almost better. Um, and until they do that, they're going to stay at that 500 team. And 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 I think that's a good comparison you brought up. I haven't seen the Timberwolves suffer nearly as many of the same issues. Now, I know Coach Tibbs runs a much tighter shift, but again, it, it, it comes down to the players just executing on what is, is said, what, what the game plan is. And Tibbs, as we know, last year didn't make that difference. Minnesota had a very disappointing season, but yet this year they're clicking on a lot more cylinders. And I think it's just more than Jimmy Butler being. I just think that they've taken heed. They, they understand what they need to do a lot better than, say, the Pelicans are right now. So complacency, Preston. That's the word I'm focusing on. I think I'm going to write an article about this because I'm, I'm honestly very bothered um, by Anthony Davis' comments when he said he wasn't frustrated, just disappointed. This was half an hour right after he had lost that game. He was dressed. You can tell he was upset, and, and I'm sorry, but he, he was frustrated, but yet he denied it. So I don't know. You need your team leaders to take bad losses to sub-500 teams at home very negatively. You know, you've got to have some emotion because Cousins that same night said it sucked, it sucked, but Davis is just frustrated. No, no, I've got issues, and that's just one of many. I've talked long enough. Let's move on. Let's get David back in here. Yeah, I was going to follow up on that. DeMarcus Cousins sitting right next to him, lockers positioned right next to each other. He said, I'm pissed about it. Everybody in the locker room is pissed about it. So contradicting what Anthony Anthony meant. But obviously, Anthony said that he was disappointed. And so we're all under the same emotion here. David, I know that Ali's not going to follow me down this rabbit hole, but it has been a topic of discussion on Twitter this week. And, And it all really started on what Ali mentioned, that missed assignment when Anthony Davis uh, didn't only freeze to J.J. Barea's uh, rotation. He kind of just, it it almost looked like his mind left his body. He just stood there and he froze. And as he watched the three-pointer go in, he just collapsed. His his hands went to his legs. His head went down to just just stunned. It, it almost looked like he just completely lost his mind for about three seconds. He's getting a lot of heat. People are, are very careful to attack Anthony Davis because not only is, is he our city's savior, he's one of the best talents we've ever seen in the NBA. And it's very difficult to come after somebody defensively who was on the second team last year. But does complacency start with Anthony Davis? I'm going to ask it, David. Obviously, you're going to refute refute me but we we have to come to a point in time where we begin we've questioned alvin gentry we've questioned demarcus cousins we've questioned rajon rondo drew holiday at some point we have to question anthony davis don't we david yeah i'm not going to refute you there i think he does have to be held accountable um when you say you're the franchise player and that you want to win here 
then it, the example does start with you. And you you talk about the the JJ Barea, um, you know, uh, not missing that assignment, but you know, just watching the Knicks game um, and and the Mavericks game, they were just blowing assignments across the board. Um, guys not turning their head, uh, not having basic man ball awareness, um, not bumping screeners. Uh, and then um, I'll, uh, your memory may be better than mine, but there was one point during the Knicks game where uh, the ball rotated out to a shooter and he was by himself um, and and not one player on the Pelicans even bothered to attempt to close out, to even make him just change his sight line. And he buries the three from the left wing. And it was just that kind of effort. And, and I don't, complacency, I think, is a certain part of it. But there's also seems to be this, this feeling that there's time they feel like there's time to get these things together. And that lack of urgency that we've talked about at the beginning of games, I think is, is a lack of urgency throughout the course of the season. They're, after each game, they're constantly saying, well, we're getting there. We're getting better. Um, you, you know, you know we're, we're, we know our roles now. And, but you're not seeing consistent effort and you're not even seeing consistent winning. If you can't put together a four-game win streak, over the first 36 games of the season, that's a problem. And and so I think that there's this feeling that that they think that they've done more than they have. Um, I don't think the coaching staff feels that way. Um, uh, but I think that the players, I mean, after that Knicks game, the locker room was not as dark as you might have thought it was. I mean, guys were joking with each other and, you know, um, in a pretty good mood for the most part. So it didn't feel like it was a devastating loss to them. Um, and, and no one game should define your season. But when you when you have the opportunity to go um, and close out the, the, the calendar year the way that they did with potentially five straight wins, and then you blow those two and the manner in which you did, giving up 120 points, 128 points to the Mavericks, and then allowing the Knicks to jump out on you and then come back late, that should be a big concern um, that should have guys, you know, just visibly, um, if not angry, um, at least more accountable. And you don't hear that from the Pelicans in the, in the locker room. They, 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 they'll say they're upset, uh, but rarely this season do you hear guys say it's me and I have to get better. Um, you just don't get that from this team. And I think Anthony is not above criticism I don't think his defense has been as good this year as it has, has been in years past even though his rating is in line with his career averages um and I don't think his re- rebounding has been as good uh, and and positionally I think he's deferred so much to Mar- to DeMarcus in a number of ways that that's hurt the team uh and and I think that the franchise now is beginning to take more of DeMarcus's personality as the alpha of this franchise rather than Anthony's. Yeah, and the sky is not falling. Let's be clear to Pelicans fans. Nice stuff by David. Uh, But we are just two games back of the Thunder who have played two games more than us. So the fifth seed is there for the taking. I apologize for getting dark, but it is that point of the season where you're 18 and 18. You've got two very winnable games against two teams who are 5 and 26 on the road this year. Thank you for that 
statistic from both Ali and David. And and you've got to win these games, frankly. You've got to win these games to outpace guys like the Clippers, who have Blake Griffin back healthy, the Jazz, who are always lurking, just two games behind us. We have an upcoming matchup with them this week. So it, it's it's time to start winning some basketball games. Once you get 36 games into a season, frankly, you, you pretty much are who you are. We're not going to get a whole lot of surprises at this point. Probably not a whole lot of player movement, although we will get uh, Frank Jackson and Tony Allen back here soon. We'll touch on that a little bit later in the pod. But let's let's get directly to the two latest uh, losses. We've talked a bit about them. Let's just break them down once and for all and move on. Uh, we've got a dozen storylines to unfurl. We've mentioned some of them, like uh, 77 points given up in one half to the Mavericks. The, the fourth quarter Rondo benching, which was called uh, a coach's instinct. Uh, Anthony Davis corner three, the Pelicans inability to win the rebounding battle, getting crushed by second chance points and the Pelicans bench destruction at the hands of the Knicks bench. I think it was something like 42 to 10. Ali, what's what's your biggest takeaway from all these statistics? And did I miss anything? No, you didn't press them because every night we see something that another team does and they normally kind of do it well, but they do it extremely well against the Pelicans. And Dave and I made the word not joking about it, but we were talking amongst ourselves in the locker room after one of these recent losses and um, just remarking on how teams seem to come in and establish either season records or, hell, Dallas had a franchise record, and it's scary to think they were just three away from setting an NBA uh, record for made three pointers in a game. That's terrible. Um, I don't want to hear that the Dallas came out and shot the ball extremely well. Alvin kind of started alluding to the fact that the Pelicans could have done a better job of getting in closer to the shooters, um, you know, closing down on the airspace, I believe he said. And, yeah, that, that that's a good start. But th- there's a lot more, at, at, you know, at fault here. And it just seems like everybody is just putting – just dusting everything over, just, you know, kind of glossing over all the issues. And I agree with David. There's a lack of urgency with this team. We're this far in the season – and it has, it has had a couple of highlights. As you said, Preston, we shouldn't get too dark because there have been some highlights. They're 18-18. They're still firmly inside the playoff picture. But when you see what we've seen as to where this team has a lot more talent than previous seasons, they haven't gone on those uh, really awesome runs within games where they have even had some incredible wins. And then they drop these duds out of nowhere. Um, it's just inexplicable. But getting back to the Dallas game, Preston, you, you've got to hit first. Uh, Dallas came and jumped all over the Pelicans. They got into a rhythm early. I remember Dave and I kept on looking at each other. Another three-point, open three-point shot. And you could just see it. The confidence grew, and especially by a team led by a rookie, Dennis Smith, who has not shot the ball well at all this season, goes off and has his first career triple-double. Uh, I think the guy didn't miss his first shot until maybe his seventh or eighth attempt. Uh, he was knocking down threes just like Donovan Mitchell was. Uh, a month ago, I remember remarking on uh, Twitter about that. I mean, he, he looked like an all-star out there. And then, of course, you have Wesley Matthews knocking down like four or five threes. Then off the bench, Dev, Devin Harris, J.J. Barrett, they couldn't miss either. Um, the Pelicans really didn't do anything to slow them down. Fortunately for them, they were able to have their offense ignite in the second quarter and, and in the third quarter, which you know made the game close, made it, turned it into one-possession game. But Again, it's building these massive holes of late now. It's coming out with a lack of energy. That's that's the latest problem. It's funny. Every week, every other week, it seems like it's a new thing, and that's got to stop. Um, I don't know. We're, it's like a dog chasing its tail. Um, you don't know why it's doing it or what it's doing, it, but it's happening, you know, and they're going in circles uh, and, and an 18-18 record at the end of the day. I was really 
I was more so upset by the Knicks loss than Dallas because Dallas was coming into the game a lot hotter than anybody gave them credit for. Everybody just looks at the overall record. But they had been playing a lot better, simply because they have had all their players. Uh, and when I look at the advanced stats after the game, Dallas is was almost equal to the Pelicans in terms of all sorts of efficiency. So, And it's not like Dallas is a bad shooting team. So all this was known about this team. But again, that was a bad loss. But the Knicks bothered me more because coming in the game, they're not the shooters that Dallas is or really any other NBA team as they rank last in attempts. And uh, they're not good at converting even on those few attempts a game. No, you knew they were going to try and score on the inside, and that's what they did. They scored 60 points on the inside against Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. That shouldn't happen. If you're going to come into a, a team that claims it's going to give it their best effort, that they understand how important home games are, that's just a pathetic effort. Uh, why did they lose that game? I felt like that big offensive rebound. You remember that day, right? After mm-hmm. the Pelicans held, um, I forget who missed the shot initially, but anyways, they failed to grab the defensive rebound because nobody boxed out Chris Stapps for singles, so he ends up getting offensive rebound with about just under two minutes left, and he winds up in that possession knocking down a three-pointer. That was pivotal. Or pivotal. <laughs> pivotal. <Excuse laughs> All me. right, Charles Barkley. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was huh? terrible. Got a lot of peas there. <laughs> terrible. Anyways, he makes that three, and it, it turns it from a five-point uh, Pelicans lead down to two. And right then and there, you just felt like, wow, here we go again. Sure enough, that's what ended up. You have, you know, you just have no confidence in this team. When I hear people look or just they're looking through the upcoming schedule, they're marking off of this is going to be a win, that's going to be a win. How can you say that? This team has shown only one thing, and that's, as I mentioned earlier, being unpredictable. So it's almost like they're back to square one with me. Preston, when you see these two losses to uh, sub-500 teams that come into your home floor and win the way they did by playing to their strengths and the Pelicans being unable to do anything to slow that down, that, that's a lot of cause for worry. Well, the good news is that they ever do put it together. We see them get down early against these teams, and they somehow always manage to find a way to fight, which is the, the, the polarizing and upsetting version of the Pelicans is that we see what they possibly can be against teams like the, the depleted Magic and Heat and then against the Nets last week as well. Uh, one of the quotes that Ali was referring to, I just want to get this out there. I just think we didn't start with the same energy we normally start with, said head coach Alvin Gentry. We, we missed some shots early. We weren't as connected defensively as I thought we should have been. And so obviously they got off to a great start shooting the uh, the basketball. And Ali's got a great point in that. We, we've just heard this quote too often. You know, you you give them one uh, or fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. You know the rest. So uh, it's we're, we're tired of, of hearing that quote. I want to move along, though, uh, to his decision to bench. Rajon Rondo, I'm going to throw this over to David. Uh, He said, we couldn't get the advantages that we needed, so we just went with Jameer. Nothing against Rondo. He's been great. Once again, he had eight assists. We just thought in order for us to get the offense going and be able to have the ball inside that we might want to have someone that they would go over the top of screen and rolls with. He's been great, and he was fine. We were trying to get a little more flow, and they were going under so many screen and rolls that we thought with Jameer out there, it was just a decision that I made. It had nothing to do with Rondo or the way he was playing or anything like that. It was just coach's instinct. And we've been hearing all offseason about how Rondo is the coach on the floor. He's the floor general. I think Dwayne Casey called him a computer. And yet he's not good enough to, to play on the floor for the Pelicans, even though he had 25 assists against the Nets. I know he came out sloppy. But, David, is Rondo a crucial enough piece 
of the Pelicans roster right now, like a Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis, and DeMarcus Cousins, that you you sort of have to ride or die with your players. We've seen instances where DeMarcus has benched himself in the fourth quarter or Rajon Rondo has benched himself in the fourth quarter. But this is the first time all season we've really seen Gentry bench one of his stars against their will. And Rondo even said as much after the game, saying something like it was coach's call. David, do you agree with Alvin Gentry's instincts here? Um, I did not agree with the decision. Uh, there was definitely a lot of um, question asking amongst the media uh, during that stretch as you watch them struggle offensively and, and not see Rondo out there on the floor. Uh, Jameer really um, down the stretch was not playing great basketball. And, and I think the thing with Rondo um, and that you, I think you do have to kind of ride out with him at this point is that he's the only one who can effectively get DeMarcus Cousins into the post. He's also he's the only one who can get Anthony Davis consecutive touches in the post. Um, you saw it against the Knicks, where when they were getting back into the ball game, Rondo sought out Anthony and and basically was like, we're going to you, possession, possession, possession. And it was just, you know, Jameer can't do that, or at least he has not done that. Uh, and, and the times that you've seen, you know, DeMarcus maybe get over emotional, it's Rondo there in the middle, um, pulling him away or talking to him. So I think that you kind of do, even though Rondo's individual defense is not what you want to see. Um, and of course, yeah, his scoring is, is an issue, but it, that's who he's been. So you knew that when you bought him, what he was going to bring to the table. Uh, so I think you do, especially in the fourth quarter. You ha- when you need execution and you've got to get guys in the right place, um, I-, I-, I don't think you can have Jameer Nelson on the floor and not Rajon Rondo. All right, Ali, I'm going to let you go on this, but I'm going to give you 60 seconds and then I'm going to clap that you're done. I'm just kidding, but uh, try to be <laughs> brief on this one. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'm with David. I think everybody's been talking about the lack of execution. Even Alvin Gentry mentioned it today. He said that it wasn't great coming down the stretch. And we saw that it resulted in a couple of long shots by the Pelicans. There was no ball movement. It was either AD or DeMarcus just simply holding it and then launching a jumper. Um, I don't understand it either. This team, and Dave is absolutely right, the only time you see DeMarcus Cousins effectively go down low and be effective, excuse me, is when Rondo's in the game. Same thing with AD. He seems to not get his touches as consistently as I think this team should be looking for him. Um, and I think that strictly happens because Cousins is left up top of the key being the decision maker when Rondo's not there. So AD doesn't end up with the touches he ha- he should be getting on a nightly basis. Without a doubt, he should be the team's leader in usage, uh, field goal attempts, you name it. But it, it's not the case. And so it's just, it's disturbing when the Pelicans move away from their strength. Their strength this season being, of course, scoring a hell of a lot of points. So in a game where I think in both games, the team struggled in uh, the Knicks and in the Mavericks game to score points in the fourth quarter, um, it was particularly disturbing to see Rondo not play a single second in that fourth against the Mavericks. Um, the Pelicans, one thing they do well, she either shoot the hell out of the ball or just get the looks inside. But either way, they're putting up points. And when Rondo's not out there, that becomes questionable because suddenly you're putting Holiday in a tougher position. And I've noticed in these last few games, even against Brooklyn, when they've when Rondo has gone off the court and Drew Holiday's been assigned to run the offense and bring the ball up, he, 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 he's not the same player. He keeps reverting back to that kind of, um, you know, not, aggress- not enough aggressiveness 
on his drives, on his looks, you name it. He just kind of dribbles up the court and becomes a non-factor. Can't have that happen. So I'm well past 60 seconds. Let's move on. But, yes, Rondo has got to be out there, Preston. He's a core piece. You signed him for one reason only, to lead this team and to make sure that they execute properly on the floor, his two biggest strengths. All right, that question was from MC Tuman. It was, can Pelicans count on Rondo in his eighth straight year with negative on-off? If not Rondo, then whom? Nelson, Jackson, point point center, boogie, help. David, do you want to answer that one real quickly? I think we covered most of it. Yeah, I I don't think you can rely on Jameer Nelson at this point. His game is regressing at this stage, um, it appears. And certainly you don't want DeMarcus making... Um, as many decisions as he has been, his you know he's he's basically a one to one assistant and um, you know averaging more than five turnovers a game. So yeah, it has to be Rondo, and you have to figure out how to make that work. All right, I'm going to throw this one to Ali because next up I'm going to go to Grub. We've got a long one for Grub. Let's just talk the final play versus the Knicks a bit more. Of course, the Pelicans led by eight with 2.57 remaining, as we've discussed, and with nine seconds remaining, drew up an elevator for Darius Miller, which was covered well by Kumar. It was uh, it basically thwarted, resulting in a back rotation for AD for an open shot, and he said it was his judgment. Like, he just uh, facilitated back there for Miller, and he took an open shot. He missed it in a situation where the Knicks were over the foul limit. The Pelicans had drawn 24 fouls up to that point, point. Uh, and some of the quotes, DeMarcus said he was open. I've watched him make that shot many times. The greatest player of all time didn't make every game winner. He missed. On to the next. We know we didn't need a three. But if a three was available to us, we were going to shoot a gentry at it. It was a great shot. We just didn't knock it in. But I'll take that shot any time of the day. Ali, Anthony Davis is at about 39% on the year from three, albeit on only uh, about two shots per game. Did you did you like the decision here to take the three, or do you wish they had kind of attacked the paint a little bit more or some kind of pick-and-roll uh, facilitated movement? I disliked it. If you read my recap, it, it obviously wasn't the only reason the Pelicans lost. There are 10 million reasons that happened before that that contributed to the loss, but it was yet another decision that is, okay, shot, okay, maybe I can understand it's a decent shot, but you can't. nobody can convince me that's a great shot. You can't do it. Who are the top three-point shooters on a team? Is Anthony Davis right there? No. It's each one more and Darius Miller by a mile. I don't understand in an elevator's action, if that's what you truly want to run, why don't you have AD moving anywhere from the mid-range towards the uh, rim? That's where he's more effective. That's where certainly he can draw a foul. Um, I was looking at some stats recently on teams that um, how often they get to the line. And during, during regular play, Teams seem the, the the top of tier teams seem to hover about in uh, I want to say twenty percent range on how they get their points or where they get their points from, and that's from free throws. But interestingly, during clutch time, a lot of teams jump well over that thirty percent mark. But one team that simply stays the same, like it's still regular, you know, uh, regular regular season minutes, it's the Pelicans. They're one of the worst teams to take advantage of getting to the line during clutch moments, and that's when the team uh, the score in the game, excuse me, is less than five with less than five minutes to go. So I don't know. I, I think, yeah, they can say what they want to say. And yeah, I think I would probably have some trust in AD who is a good shooter, but you can't convince me that's a good shot because AD we've all seen, he's more comfortable inside that arc. He has not had a sustained run of really good three point shooting. It just comes and goes with him. I mean, he, he won't even attempt the three for, you know, say a three, four, five game stretch. You can't tell me that's a great shot. And like I said before, moving towards the rim, he's just better there. So 
I, I feel like when, when Anthony did that, he, he settled. And that's where, again, I bring up that word complacency. I just feel like this team just kind of settles, you know. They're just, they don't want to they – just, they just don't put forth that extra, extra gear, um, push, push a play to its extreme, push themselves to, to their best. Um, and that was a, I think that's a perfect example. Derry's catching the ball um, from three-point range. Perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. If he's there, free, he gets a shot, and you'll take it. But if he's not, I have enough trust that he can swing the ball. And right there is DeMarcus Cousins and AD. You've got to expect one of those guys when they're setting all these picks is going to be able to spin loose and get open. So just to see AD bounce back in behind Darius, yeah, I was disappointed with that shot, bottom line. I think they can do better, and they have to do better because an 18-8 record demands that they just seek the most out of every possession that they can, especially when it counts. All right, speaking of the 18-18 and record, uh, I'm going to throw this over to David because he had a pretty interesting statistic on CrescentCitySports.com. Make sure you guys go over and check that out. And basically what it boiled down to was no team in the Western Conference has ever gotten to the playoffs without a specific winning record, that being 24 wins, and the Pelicans have nine on the year. And in order to reach that 24-point threshold, they'd need to finish 15-8. and Did I get all that right, David? Well, I didn't say no team ever. Um, oh. But it was last year. It was last year. No, that was the minimum uh, to get in. Oh, good. So See, that's why year. I ask. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a, I mean, but from year to year, it's, you know, it's around, that's the bare minimum. If you look just year to year, you usually see the eighth team is usually at around 23, 24 home wins. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. They have to be better than a 500 team at home thebirdrights.com, where we only do half of the necessary research. Right, Ollie? <laughs> that is not true, <laughs> listeners. Do not listen to Preston right there. All right, we're going to play this game anyway because I came up with it in my head, and I think it's going to be fun. And damn it if I got that wrong. But you know what? We're still going to have fun with this. We're going to throw this over to David. We're going to start with David. And Ollie, you want to do the math for us on this one? We're going to count to 23, and you are going to give us how many wins that David predicts and how many losses. You ready? Okay. All right, we've got January 8th, home against the Pistons. What do you think, David? I think that's a win, even though it's a trap game. What about the 12th against the Blazers? I think that's a loss. 20th against the Grizzlies? Win. 22nd Bulls? If the Bulls are still playing like I think they'll struggle, but uh, I'll still give the Pelicans the win as of today. 26 Rockets? Loss. 28 Clippers. Loss. 30th Kings. Win. February 5th Jazz. Win. 7 Pacers. Loss. 14 Lakers. Win. 23rd Heat. Loss. 26 Suns. Win. Here's where things get tricky. March 9th Wizards. Loss. 11 Jazz. Loss. 17 Hornets. Win. 17 Rockets. Loss. 18 Celtics. Loss. 20 Mavericks. Win. 22 Lakers. Win. 27 Blazers. Win. April 1st Thunder. Loss. 4th Grizzlies. Win. And 11th Spurs. How did we do, Ollie? I give them the win against the Spurs because the Spurs usually are resting guys on the last day. 
13 what? wins, Preston. Oh, no. So is that 13 and 10? Is that 13 and 10 right there? Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay, so the Pelicans are out of the playoffs, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that's, that's what we've just discovered. You heard it here first on the 70th episode of the Bird Calls podcast. I'm just kidding. Uh, but well done by David on those calls. And obviously, we have no idea what to possibly predict with this Pelicans team, a team that can destroy the Spurs and then come back a couple of nights later and lose to the Kings at home. So uh, you know as much as we do, Pelicans fans. But but let's move right on. Ali, I want to quickly, before we go into previews, talk about an article you've got on the birdrights.com the article is titled the pelicans on surprising identical pace to the 2014 nba playoff version and basically what it boils down to is the offensive rating this year is sixth and defensive is 25th and in 14-15 offensively it was seventh and defensive was 24th ali talk a bit about about your article and how how what what sparked your interest in investigating these two seasons and putting them side by side and what did you ultimately discover it was just a real quick thing, Preston. I was just curious because I remember that team, and I'm sure you guys do as well, they, they did a lot of uh, alternating wins with losses. And it seemed like they were bubbling right around that 500 mark for at least the few, first few months. And when I looked through the first 36 games, I was pleasantly surprised to see that 18 and 18 record. Um, and then, I, you know, of course, you got to look a little deeper. And it was real interesting seeing how the offenses have, for both teams in the top 10 the defense is in the bottom 10 and honestly though that's where the similarities kind of end because this, this team this current squad as we all know that they can put up points they love putting up points that's where i think that playoff team um average about 10 less points a game they were able to somehow to win games without having a really good defense that's what i found i like, guess the most surprising they seemed to win the closer games they were able to win what this team has not yet discovered on how to hold on to those leads and or uh, finish off comebacks. Um, I don't know. I've, I really want to look in deeper into this person because this was just a quick, you know, glance at something, you know, yesterday was New Year's Eve, so I wasn't going to spend too much time. And I wanted to throw up something quickly on the side for New Year's Day. Um, but it deserves more mention because it's funny to see these similarities, excuse me, see these similarities of these teams that maybe this Pelicans team really is a mediocre team that they're going to just squeeze in at the last minute because they do enough things well as to where all, all the uh, negatives won't outweigh the positives, and that's how they're going to get in. And honestly, certainly, I think none of us would you know, argue against that fact because we haven't seen any sustained excellence on any side of the ball for 48 minutes from this team, and that includes the offense. So, no, Preston, this is just a quick look. It wasn't meant to be anything more than just a quick comparison, but it's an interesting one. Uh, looks like we heard a little residual effects of your New Year's plans last night, Ollie. Is that what it sounded <laughs> like to you, David? Excuse <laughs> me, yes. <laughs> All right, David. Uh, let's work on over to previews. We've got two very important games this week. As I mentioned, these two teams are either right behind us or right in front of us. And I, I had it in front of me, and I just lost it. Okay, here it is. All right, we've got the Jazz at 16-21, and 21, just two and a half games back of us. Michael McNamara will be in attendance, which means that the Pelicans are inevitably going to win. And then we've got the Timberwolves uh, a couple of days later, I believe on Friday. That'll also be in Minnesota. So a two-game road trip here, and Anthony had some comments about needing to play well on the road to make up for these home losses. And the, uh, the Jazz are known for being a defensive juggernaut. They're 24th offensively. They're 6th defensively, but some good news for for the Pels, Rudy Gobert is still out for two more weeks with his PCL. I think it was a uh, sprain. 
And uh, Donovan Mitchell, however, has been lighting himself on fire as of late, averaging something like 23-5-5 in December, much in the vein of Drew Holiday. Let's talk Wednesday first, David. How do you anticipate the matchup in Salt Lake City going for our Pelicans? They should win, but I think that's it's it's really dependent on how well they keep the guards out of the paint, especially Mitchell. You've seen Mitchell be able to get backdoor lobs. Um, his three point shooting has gotten better. Uh, you know, he's he's really becoming a leader for that team, and his explosiveness is is just a tremendous matchup problem. And um, you know, just watching the Knicks, who had Jared Jack. Um, who, you know, was a Pelican last year for maybe, you know, an hour and a half, um, go out and get 15 points and was pretty much in the lane with regularity. Um, and then Frank, uh, and I hate pronouncing his last name, um, Frank, uh, somebody say it for me because I'm not good at saying it. Nilakina? What is it, from the Knicks? Yeah, <laughs> I was close. There you I go. <laughs> um, he was, you know, he, he was constantly in the lane and they were getting shots for mediocre big men in a lot of occasions when Porzingis was not on the floor. I mean, you saw Joachim Noah come in and get two very easy scores off of penetration. You saw, um, you know, Kylo Quinn, who's not mediocre. Kylo Quinn is a good player, but he was getting shots at the rim because of penetration. So if the Pelicans can't stop penetration, which I think has been the worst part of their defense, um, they're going to struggle against Utah. Um, Utah is already a difficult place to play for everybody. But if you can't stop dribble penetration, if you're not rotating well defensively, then you give the opportunity for other people to, to, to get confidence, just like New York did, just like Dallas did. Got, uh, you know, what, what against Dallas, it was uh, um, off the bench. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, Powell. It was Dwight Powell coming off the bench and getting 15 points. So, you know, guys are able to get points when you're when you, when their guards are penetrating and dropping off for easy baskets. So I think Utah presents that problem. Ali, I've got a statistic for you. Uh, he just mentioned that the Jazz are tough at home, and he is right. Although the Jazz have only won three of their last 11 games. But after he said that, I took a quick look, and only three of those last 11 games were at home. Uh, although one of them they they did drop to the Rockets, but two of them they won. And one of them was a couple of days ago, the stunner against the Cavaliers when Donovan Mitchell uh, sealed it with a with a layup at the end. So although they, they've been pretty dreadful as of late, to David's credit, a lot of these uh, losses were on the road. How, how tough do you think this is going to be for the Pelicans in Salt Lake City? I think it's going to be very tough. Um, I've always said this about games in Utah and in Denver some reason the Falcons don't play them well and most teams don't traveling up in an FN atmosphere but again this is a better Utah team than their record indicates uh, they're solid I think they're a solid well-coached team that has a lot of firepower and they do enough things defensively to uh, hold hold you hold you from scoring enough points and that's my biggest fear I mean Donovan Mitchell David just mentioned Donovan Mitchell and then Alex Burks they, they completely torture Pelicans they got to the rim at will and I think this needs to be said David David is right. The Pelicans' biggest issue defensively is uh, con containing penetration. And I'm looking particularly at two players. I, I feel like Rajon Rondo and Etwan Moore, who everybody loves but never seems to want to talk about his defense. Uh, looking at some numbers, on-off numbers, defensively, the, the Pelicans become a lot better defensively when either or both Rondo and Etwan Moore are off the floor. Um, and and it, the eye test kind of shows that. Every game, I see Etwan Moore getting burned. Um, he's just 
simply not quick enough. His instincts aren't 100% as to where he can make up for his deficiency of, uh, with athleticism uh, to be able to stay with the quicker you know, guards, the perimeter players in the league. Um, I, I just feel like he's always going to be at that slight disadvantage. That's where, thankfully, Drew Hardy does not have that issue. But Rajon Rondo, he's also right in that same boat. He, he doesn't have the same athleticism as he once did. So teams are just able to get by both of these players, and they're not getting the help that they need normally behind them with uh, coming from Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. Because as Dave mentioned, the rotations are bad. So I think the Utah are going to present a hell of a challenge. They've got Ricky Rubio who can break down the defense, and then you've got um, Donovan Mitchell and Alex Burks, two wonderful scorers who know how to get to the rim. And, of course, they're big, that they're, they're – they're solid, and then you've got perimeter shooters like Joe Ingles and Rodney Hood, who really has some outstanding games recently for them as well. So, I don't know. I mean, it's going to take a heck of an effort by the Pelicans. Um, they can score as many points as they want, I feel like, but until the Pelicans can start holding other teams back, I don't know. I, I feel like this is a, an invariably going to be a loss. That doesn't sound good, David, because coming up on Friday, the Pelicans go to Minnesota for yet our third matchup. The first one was 104-98 in a heartbreaker, and then 120-102. to I'm doing this off of memory, but I'm, I'm pretty confident about it. Statistically, they're very similar to the Pelicans this year. They're six offensively at 109 points a game, and they're 20th defensively at 106.2, a little bit better defensively than the Pelicans, and that's been the difference between their two records, uh, frankly, because the Pelicans have had so many close games. They've won six of seven. And their one loss being against the Bucks, and two of those wins against the Nuggets, the Suns, the Blazers, the Pacers, and the Lakers. So there's no Warriors or Spurs on that docket, but six of seven is pretty reputable. Uh, how do you think the Pelicans fare in Minnesota this Friday? Well, I mean, looking at the two games so far, the, the thing that scares you the most about Minnesota is that Carl Towns has not had a decent game yet. And in both games, Minnesota was the better team. Um, that that's a little scary because if he has an average game, if he if he can get to eighteen and ten, and and provide them with that inside out, um, you know, ability, uh, I think that Minnesota still wins that game. And and I think that they one of the things you look at is that a Minnesota does play well at home, and b Minnesota has played very well against the Western Conference as a whole. So it's not like they're piling up their wins and and getting them by just beating Eastern Conference teams. I think they won 19 of their games, of their 23 games are against Western Conference opponents. So they're playing good teams and beating them. So um, I think it's it's another very difficult game for them. And then you wonder about the Pelican psyche coming out of the break, having the rest that they had, and they showed that they didn't handle that well the last time they had an extended break. Um, going into that, going on the road, after the new year, yeah, I'm I'm worried about those as, as back-to-back road games, not on consecutive days, but as you know, two straight games on the road. Ali, we should mention that Jeff Teague is out indefinitely with a, a knee injury, a left knee. Uh, let's see, he had his MRI. Uh, I can't see exactly what happened, but he is going to be definitely out for this game. And that puts Tyus Jones into the lineup. And with Aaron Brooks spelling him with some version of Jamal Crawford, Georgie Dang, and uh, Bielitsa, I don't know how to say his first name. I'm not going to try it. But that does leave them one man shorter with Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, and Taj Gibbon making the rest of that starting rotation who are all going to play somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes, you'd have to think, on Friday. Does having Jeff Teague out of the lineup I don't know, expose any weaknesses that you think the Pelicans can take advantage of. Yeah, I actually do. 
Um, as we've been talking for the last 15 minutes, the Pelicans are not very good with containing penetration. Jeff Teague's one of the better point guards who, who gets into the lane under control. So him being out of the game is definitely going to help because then they're going to have to rely a little bit more um, on uh, Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins out on the wings for a little bit more decision-making. Um, but then again, as soon as you get happy thinking about Tyus Jones getting most of the minutes at point guard, all you've got to do is look back to that game, uh, their last game, their last meeting, uh, where I mm-hmm. think it happened at the end of November where the Pelicans uh, lost by, I forget, it, it was a good-sized thumb, and uh, Tyus Jones basically went off. That's all I remember is Tyus Jones came in, and everybody thought that was going to be a weakness for them because Jeff Teague was missing game. Nope. I think he went off for like 16, 18 points, something like that. I was making threes, making plays. And honestly, I remember him getting a lot of steals too. So he was he was a pest all over the court that the Pelicans had no answer for. Um, you know, that was the game where I think Anthony Davis was ejected, right, guys? Is that what I'm, you were remembering too? Yes, I think, I think you're yeah. right. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember. So, I mean, again, <laughs> the Pelicans had that hindrance. But, again, I, I mean – I'm tired of making excuses for this team. They simply are just very bad at containing. So it doesn't matter who's almost at the point guard position, Preston. The Pelicans are going to find a way to somehow blow some coverages and, and uh, you know, just keep players out of the paint. So even though Jeff Teague being out, I think, will help overall. As David mentioned, they're going to be short of man now. That's typically in the rotation. I still don't think it's going to be enough to where you can say, okay, the Falcons have a huge advantage. No, they still got a lot of weapons, and, and that's the biggest thing. Cat has been so quiet in all the meetings as far as season. You almost feel like a 40-point game or something like that coming our way. Let me ask you this, David, if this tilts uh, towards the Pelicans' favor. Uh, right now, the Timberwolves are up by 12 at half over the Lakers, so you'd have to think 7 out of 8, potentially. Then they've got the Nets on Wednesday. But then on Friday... They are facing the Boston Celtics in Boston, coming back one night later to Minnesota to face the Pelicans at home. I know we don't put a lot of stock into this back-to-back stuff, but Anthony Davis did in regards to uh, whatever team was coming over from San Antonio. I think it was the Nets the night that the Pelicans Mm -hmm. thrashed them. And then, of course, uh, fatigue and energy was a big complaint during the the Knicks game. Do you think this gives any possible advantage against the Wolves, David? No. I mean, you know, the Knicks were coming in playing three games in four nights on and and mostly on the road except for Christmas Day. So I mean, you know, I I don't I don't see how that gives the Pelicans an advantage because it hasn't mattered, you know, like like Ali said, the it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, whether they've had two nights of rest or whether they're playing back to back. So you don't know from night to night what you're going to get from this team. So whether they've gotten the rest or not, um I don't I don't think is a is a factor. Um even for Minnesota, I think at this stage, it's still too early in the season. They may have dead legs by the time the playoffs roll around, but because their players are relatively young at those key positions, uh, you know, I, I think that they can still be be fresh enough um, when it comes to playing against the Pelicans. And then when you're playing a team that gives you very little defensive resistance and you don't have to exert yourself as much on the offensive uh, end to, to, to score points, and you're saving your legs there too. You're not having to cut as much. You're not having to screen as much because the the, the scoring chances are there. So I, for the for the Pelicans against the against the Wolves, I don't think it's a big uh, um, help. Okay, we've only got one question from our listeners. So you guys, make sure in the future uh, when we put this out there, we want to hear from you. So make sure you make yourselves heard. Uh, you write under at Preston Ellis or at the Bird Rides DM Grub at Ali Cosell. We'll make sure. What's that, Ali? 
Oh, sorry. I thought I, I don't know. Someone. Is that me moving my phone around? I'm my yeah, bad guy. You're so annoying, Ollie. Must be that residual <laughs> from that New Year party. I'm just kidding. Uh, but we've got three and a half percent of our listeners from Australia. So if you guys want to make yourselves heard and ask some Pelicans questions, make sure you do before our next podcast. We're going to wrap up. Before we do that, we talked a lot about Anthony Davis, which we don't usually do. So I'm glad that we got to it on this podcast. Funny enough, you think he's our franchise player. We talk about him every pod, but he's usually the forgotten man. Usually the star of our podcast is DeMarcus Cousins because he is such a polarized topic and today david i do want to talk about demarcus before we let you guys go and we're about at the halfway point of the season almost not quite but we've got uh the trade deadline just a month away and not a lot of talk about boogie lately with his 32 and 20 and 8 performance the other night and some of his uh all-star type uh, credentials that he's been putting on the year something like 25 and 12 on the year i'm doing it off memory and uh we we just haven't heard too much about the the Cavaliers in a Brooklyn pick or Marcine Gortat and Kelly Oubre in a first for DeMarcus Cousins. So at this point, the teams in the offseason with the most available cap space without having to make some kind of giant trade like a Nicholas Batum, let's say a, a large contract, the, the teams with the space to accumulate somebody like DeMarcus Cousins, according to Keith Smith of Real GM, are Charlotte, Chicago, Houston, Indiana, Milwaukee, Orlando, and Phoenix. And there again, of course, that doesn't take into account like Chris Paul needing to re-sign. And I don't have all the player options and team options in front of me, so I'm not sure all the logistics of this. But at this point in time, David, how confident are you, or or I should say despondent, that DeMarcus Cousins could potentially sign a five-year, $176 million contract with the Pelicans in July? Um, I think it's it's really hard to to think about what could happen today because there are so many factors at play. Uh, If this team, let's say they don't make the playoffs and you have a complete regime change, uh, new general manager, new coach, uh, and you talk about the number of guys who are on one-year contracts, if you you give a max deal to DeMarcus Cousins and then under the next regime, you're pretty much saying that this is your team, that Davis, Cousins, and Holiday are your team for the foreseeable future with not a lot of room to build around them because I don't see the cap going up very much further over the next couple of seasons. Uh, And and with that amount of money dedicated to those three players, um, do you think you can win a championship? Uh, I would be reticent at this point to say yes, uh, because of the lack of draft picks, because of the lack of development of young players, because of the lack of cap space. So I don't think, obviously I don't think DeMarcus is going to be traded during the season. I think that's about an impossibility at this stage, but I think there will have to be a serious evaluation of this team and deciding what the vision is, because I think from the front office down, there isn't a clear vision of what the identity of this franchise will be and who the franchise will be built around. Uh, Until those questions are answered, I, I, I would be troubled, I guess, by giving DeMarcus a max deal. Ali, uh, giving DeMarcus a max deal, and we're obviously getting to this very early, but it's fun. We're close to the trade deadline, and just looking around the landscape of the NBA, there just aren't a lot of options for him, but should the three of them tie themselves together, Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis, and DeMarcus Cousins over the life of their contracts, that would be about $90 million against the Pelicans cap right there. How, I guess, give us a percentage. How certain does it seem right now that DeMarcus Cousins is going to sign that extension this offseason? Well, it wouldn't be extension. He, he needs a new contract. So whatever happens, he's going to be re-signed. But here's the thing that I remember looking at um, during the last offseason. DeMarcus Cousins is not going to sign the max contract with New Orleans, guys. The reason being is he's just a couple years away 
from being eligible for the 10 year supermax. So if he just waits a couple of years, he'll be able to earn then 35% of the cap. And you've got to believe that's what he's holding out hope for after the Kings uh, moved him. So he didn't qualify for, for the uh, designated player exception. So he lost that on a lot of money with that. So his best way to make up any kind of cash moving forward is to um, go ahead and play, you know, to sign a short term two year contract, making the maximum, which is 30% of the cap for a couple of years and then re-signing. Um, and, and his best bet would be to stay with New Orleans because he would be eligible for five years instead of four. Uh, and for 35% of the cap. So short answer, Preston, DeMarcus Cousins, I think, is likely to resign here. At, at, at where we stand today, David made 10, given us 10 million reasons and one as to why we can't really jump the gun here. But, again, if things play out, if the Pelicans stay their course and have kind of roughly a successful enough season as to where they pretty much make the playoffs, I'm not even sure they need to make the playoffs for him to be resigned here in New Orleans. But – that's all irrelevant. What I'm saying is he's not going to resign for the max with his next contract in New Orleans or any team because he would lose out money. So I think that's the big key here. You've got to pay attention to the fact that also one, one more quick thing is you've got to realize that if he does resign here, do you really want to tie in yourself with um, maybe eh, kind of iffy situation by signing another two year deal by making it short term, he's going to be able to give himself a good look at this team uh, without committing himself for the long term, see whether he and Anthony Davis are working and they want to both stay in the city because, let's face it, if he commits, he doesn't want the Anthony Davis leave. Um, so I think, short answer, Preston, and <laughs> I've probably said that twice already here, he's not going to resign a max deal regardless of what happens on uh, the court. He'll just end up costing himself money. Uh, David, just take 30 seconds on this one. Pelicans guard Frank Jackson, uh, who had right foot surgery, is hopeful that he can return soon. He began spot shooting and limited ball handling with the goal of ramping up his activity in early January next week. He said, I feel great. I've been to the doctor. Everything looks good. My foot's healing. It's almost healed pretty much, even at full strength, uh, though the Pelicans have too much backcourt depth to really anticipate Jackson earning any minutes right now. But he could have some spot time in the G League. Who knows if Jameer Nelson goes down for a couple of days, Rajon Rondo, that sort of thing. My problem with this is these were a lot of the same comments we got from Frank Jackson this offseason when Jamel McMillan said he looks great. I think we might even have him for training camp. He was posting all those videos to Instagram of doing box jumps on one foot on his injured foot. If he can come back and play in the next few weeks, David, do you want him to and keep this brief because we only got a couple minutes left? Well, of course, you'd like to see what he can do and see if you can supplant um, Jameer Nelson or another uh uh, as as the primary backup, uh, I think the only other big issue for me is I'd like to see Ian Clark get more time uh, because when he's played lately, he's been very effective. But I don't think that there's a big impact that Frank can have at this point. Um, and I may be mistaken, but uh, I just don't think his his experience and and with them trying to get to the playoffs, you want to give the ball to a rookie for extended minutes. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, do two things to celebrate the new year with us. First, subscribe. If you haven't already, spread the word. You don't have to follow me. If you subscribe, you'll get every podcast the second that it's posted. And please retweet this and make sure all of your Pelican fans friends are listening to the Bird Calls podcast. We really appreciate you guys' support. We've got a lot of downloads so far, over 60,000, and it's all thanks to you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, before we go, any parting shots, Ollie? I just want to say, just to get everybody's hopes up, the Pelicans were looking really good in terms of beating bad teams. Uh, that, that's been a problem in the past, even with the 2014-15 team. 
The Pelicans, before this past weekend, those losses to the Mavericks and the Knicks, were 11-3 and against non-playoff teams. If they can just get back to that and start winning a couple of games, uh, surprise games against top 500 teams or better, uh, they've got a good chance to, you know, kind of kind of right the ship. So that's what we're, get, what we're going to be needing to watch for. All right. It's been our great pleasure having David Grubb of Crescent City Sports. Of course, you can follow him at DM Grubb and at CrescentCitySports.com. Anything you want to share with our listeners, David, before we let you go? Yeah, I, I don't want people to think that we're, we're we're extremely negative about the Pelicans. I think that we just try to be re- as realistic as possible. And, um, you know, I, I think that's what we want fans to do is to kind of hold the franchise accountable, but also um, continue to support the franchise. Uh, we want to see basketball be successful in New Orleans. Uh, it's just, it is disappointing when you see the potential and it's just not being fulfilled. Well, they'll have their opportunity to right the ship this weekend. And coming up in February, they've got a soft slate of games, so they'll have an opportunity to go on a run there. But at the end of the day, uh, like Ali said, like David said, uh, complacency's got to be put to an end. And they just got to win some games. And they got to close out games because all of their all of these games, they're in it up until the fourth. Even when they get down early, they have the firepower to catch up very, very quickly. I'm Preston Ellis. You guys can follow me at Preston Ellis. Thank you so much for listening. Again, all your support is very much appreciated. Thank you to our two guests. We will be coming Coming back very soon uh, on this Friday, we've got some fun guests. At some point, we're going to be talking to Karen Loftus of ABC, Daniel Salerson, and D. Scott Alexander. Very excited about those guests. And we've got even more coming the following week. And at some point, if he's good, we might let Kevin back on the podcast. For now, Ollie, David, Preston, let's go, pals.